0: Top of the morning to you, or afternoon, or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty, and welcome, welcome back to Chip Time. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of Chip Time. It is great to be here. We're back, and we're ready to roll. So for anyone who may be new, this show, this is not the first episode of the show, but we have been on about a a two-and-a-half-month hiatus where your boy here needed a break uh, for no other reason than just wanted to drum up some more excitement for the sport, and the way I looked at it, you know, I kept watching track through indoor season, and I kept running and training myself, but it was really Scotty, the producer, the editor of this show who pieces the audio and trims and, and messes with the levels, He was the one who was burnt out and needed a break, but we're back now, and the excitement for the sport is so overflowing once again that Scotty, the producer, is ready to suck it up and do his thing to get y'all the content you need. And It is that time of the year where we are diving right into the heart of it. NCAA outdoor track season is going on. We're going to highlight some of the meets upcoming this weekend that you will not want to miss or at least be checking results as the weekend goes along. But like I said, whether or not you've been with us or you are a new runner, the goal of this show, the goal of this show since day one has been twofold. It has been geared towards the entire array of the running audience. Whether you are a diehard fan of the NCAA and the Olympic and professional scene, and you know who all the big name runners are, this show is for you. We talk about the big meets, we break it down, we look at who is killing it on the global stage, but also this show is for the local runner, who may not know the big names, but you like lacing up your shoes, you like getting out the door, hitting the sidewalks, hitting the trails, maybe just walking, going to local events for the community, the camaraderie, this show is also for you. We dive into stories, whether it is with fellow local runners like myself, or with Athletes from the NCAA and professional scene, we try to hit the stories behind running because to me, that is what makes this such a special sport and community. And as far as coming back, I am fired up for the interview we have on tap for today's episode. Um, Honestly, one of my favorites we've done, including all 40-some episodes of the first Season, We got to interview Paul Coughlin, the owner of Run and Gear in Waterford, Michigan, a store I've been going to since getting my first pair of Asics for 7th grade cross country, and I may have even gotten some shoes there beforehand. Paul is the one who helped my mom get her running shoes when she trained for the Detroit Marathon back in the 90s, and we covered that in season one. But, you know, I've been saying it all the time in our first season of this show, support your local running store always. Again, I say support. It is so important for these local events, for just the, the camaraderie of the running community to be supporting your local running store if you are able and as we get into warmer weather here in the Midwest, I know it goes up and down, but it's that springtime going into May and then June when you're going to have a bunch of 5Ks and 10Ks and longer races to hit, it's a good time to get some new shoes if you need them. And my challenge for everybody listening, whether you live in the Oakland County area or not, my challenge is after you listen to this interview to not go get some new running shoes because we talk all things running shoes and the history of the store and and so much more over this time. Paul was nice enough to take me to the back of the store, which is essentially a running shoe museum. They have some overstock all the way from the late 70s all the way to now. Uh, from just a couple pairs of shoes that didn't sell when they bought them in bulk quantities. And because of that, you get one or two pairs of a lot of different shoes over the years. And so I was geeking out, pulling open boxes and looking at old shoes and laughing at some and, and kind of looking at some like, oh, how did this not sell? But overall, it was a great time getting to go back there, and then, of course, just talk about the evolution of the store. So, honestly, a little different format at the beginning, just in the sense that we didn't have my usual cheesy intro. We were just talking already from going to the back of the store and then sitting down as I was setting up my microphone and recording equipment, And so it really just picks up as we were already talking and morphs into the typical interview format. So I think you guys are gonna really enjoy this one. Whichever side of the aisle you're on, diehard fan who doesn't run as much, or local runner who who doesn't know the professional scene, you are gonna love hearing about these shoes, hearing about history of this running shop and what makes these shoes such a, a special and necessary part of my favorite community in the world, the running community. So that's enough for an intro here. Let's get right into my interview with Paul Coughlin of Running Gear Waterford.
1: People ask us all the time when we come in, when they come in, um, how do you know so much about shoes
0: that was like the first question i had yeah, yeah.
1: just like where do you learn this you stuff? don't
0: take a class about shoes Nope. and shoes from when you started are not even remotely what they are now no. like what we we're looking at in the back there
1: it's true but but like i was telling you those uh the the fish the parts of shoes that they send us the tear down on the shoes and you glean information wherever you can find it from that from the reps and so on but the evolution was so, um, incremental, so initially, so slow. The, the first running shoe really was a leather upper with a pretty hard rubber bottom on it. That's all it was. And the evolution that started was when that leather upper got pulled off and a nylon upper got dropped on. And, uh, and you can go back to early Nike days, you know, and, and, uh, you look at Prefontaine's diary, they've got it open at Nike and you know, under glass, and it'll show a sketch of a shoe that he wanted, and and that soft middle layer uh, of the shoe, it was it was what we made sandals out of, mm-hmm. and they still use it for sandals today. EVA, cut foam, they call it ethylene vinyl acetate. So the evolution of shoes went from a rubber bottom to a little bit of a foam wedge and a nylon upper, and that was the true first running, running shoe of the modern era. So yeah we've evolved a ton from there but when it's just an incremental daily changes monthly changes yearly changes and you've been there for every one of them Mm -hmm. it's just accumulated information over time and we will go all the way back to those days sometimes and talk about those shoes and bring you up to date on what's happening yeah it looks like all this tremendous information but right it's really just all this accumulated over time and then we do glean it wherever we can we get it from reps uh i talked to we talk to guys at, at the head of the companies if we can get into those guys we talked to shoe designers every once in a while these guys are nice enough the manufacturer's nice enough every once in a while to invite us i've been out to new balance's place i've been out to brooks uh, brooks's uh headquarters out in oregon nike's they've all invited us out at one time or another and you get to talk to their shoe designers and it literally it, you sit right down with them and, and then as we've gotten older um you even some of the reps that we have had have gone on to become shoe designers. Uh, I have a Nike rep, I have a new balance rep that are now designing shoes. So we know these guys on a first name basis, you know sometimes if they're still there, the Nike guy is not. but if they're still there, you know you can give these guys a call and and, and actually ask them, what the hell are you doing <laughs> you mm-hmm. know and they'll give you the inside scoop on some of this stuff. so yeah, yeah, talking to those people and and uh, and then like you saw with this Nike, If we don't know we just cut them in half oh yeah we just find out for ourselves slice them up and you know figure out what the heck's in there so when there's like a new
0: model of an ongoing series Mm -hmm. how do you pinpoint those couple changes they made is it the reps the catalogs yes cutting them up if you really want to see
1: what the midsole has going on yep well you kind of hit it what what has what has happened in the past is we get it from the reps Unfortunately, many times the reps do not know as much about their own product as we do, mm-hmm. only because we have the history on their shoe. Uh, we can tell you where that shoe was three years ago, last year, the year before, 10 years ago if you want, and, and what's evolving, and we can see the evolution. Whereas if they're new, to them this is, this is all new information. We don't know, they don't know where it came from. But we'll get at least the company's take that they've given that rep that they want to give us, We'll read up on the shoe wherever we can, and then, like you say, if we have to, we'll we'll slice them right up. And we've got tons of them sliced up. But what's happened recently, unfortunately, is especially with COVID, is uh, for two years we haven't really seen a rep. Mm. Uh, some of them uh, we'll go we'll online, we'll Zoom with them.
0: It's not the same
1: though. No, it's really not the same. And, and and they can do whatever they want on camera with a shoe, and it just doesn't give us the dynamics of it. As well as, when they bring them in, we'll try them on, of course, and run around. If I'm not happy with a shoe, excuse me, if I'm not happy with a shoe, um, we'll ask for it and try it ourselves. Um, the most successful, one of the most successful shoes in the market right now, the Brooks Adrenaline. Yep. Uh, and I, and famously, this is my, my the biggest mistake I've made in 40 years. I told the Brooks rep that's not going to work. We've seen this before, and we did. that. That's, it, it failed before. What have you guys done? You've ruined your best shoe, because they made a, a monumental change when they went to the, it's called the guide rail system. So the structure, the support of that shoe was essentially a small evolution year after year after year after year. We knew what it was, and we could see the little changes in it. And then all of a sudden, that was gone, and a whole new idea came about. Well, nike made a shoe back in the 80s called an equator uh, and um not to get in too much detail but what brooks has done on that shoe is is uh, slapped on what's called or, or or built in what's called a guide rail it's kind of a fencing up on the side of the shoe nike did it back in the 80s on the equator it was a plastic collar that they wrapped in there kind of the same idea and what happened is the collar simply collapsed and crushed into the midsole foams and and it didn't stop any from anyone from rocking and rolling for an hour. So I felt it was the same thing. And I told Brooks, that'll never work. Mm-hmm. My biggest mistake, it's worked extremely, extremely well. And as we began to tear that apart and see exactly how they did it and notice, oh, this is what's different. This is what's different. But we had to do that ourselves. We had to test that shoe. I ran in that shoe. I wouldn't let anybody here sell that shoe it's on fire across the country and i'm not letting that guy sell it because i wanted to see if this shoe worked before we actually sold it right pretty convinced after a couple months that this was solid stuff and, and we kind of cut loose with it but but uh, it took running in it and it took cutting them up and um unfortunately i hopefully all this information will prevent a customer from being a guinea pig right i don't like to bring in a new shoe and here you go well, you're was, the first
0: one yeah that was a question i had because there's got to be a balance with sales between like what you guys are recommending mm-hmm. because you know what works and and you have you see people's feet whether they need more structure or a more neutral shoe but also there's just the better shoes should in theory be selling more because it's right. a better shoe yes. so how does that balance go and and do you feel almost like pressure to know what shoes are going to work out
1: the best for each customer yes i do i do and and uh, we try and use our background knowledge to make sure that you're not going to be that guinea pig Uh, and that's why like i said sometimes we'll ask for the shoe We'll, we'll, we'll try it out before we do it um that that brings to mind what's going on right now in the market and uh um our shop will probably be well it definitely is different than many of the other shops in this sense number one and i've told people over and over i'll never become a millionaire out of this store it's not it's It's number one it's not my goal yeah i want to put my kids through college and i want to have a retirement and i want to eat you know but but um getting rich never the idea and if i wanted to do that i'd maybe i'd be in a different profession Mm -hmm. i don't think many of the guys in this profession that's what their goal is their goal is they like running they want to promote running they like to help runners run well that's where we're at but i'm way more interested in and i i tell all of our all of our employees i've got to run down these streets and i don't want I don't want somebody coming at me in a shoe that we sold and have to hide behind a telephone pole. You know, (laughs) I want to say, hey, how's that shoe working and and get a positive response. We put so much effort into getting the right shoe on the right foot that I expect them to say, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's generally what we hear. And we'll see it at races and and the customers coming in the way the stores have grown. I know it's succeeding. So I think in my mind that business model is really working well carrying that a step further what we we're talking about a second ago here is that there are some shoe brands and some some shoe styles that i will not touch and i won't put our customers in them already knowing for sure not guessing like i did on the adrenaline knowing for sure this is a bad idea this is not going to work um i'm not in love with the hoka brand i'm not in love with the on brand um and it goes back to the way the shoe's made what the shoe was designed to do where the theory that shoe came from and uh let alone the materials that they're using and so on that's where i'm not happy with them and uh yeah i'm really bucking the system there are there are stores that have made a fortune hoka's on fire right now Mm -hmm. i expect in a year or two that flame to be out and i don't want my customers to say Oh, yeah, I tried that shoe. It didn't work for me. Either. Do you think not it's just because they're so soft that they break down yes. so easily? Yes. Uh, I think it was a reaction to we went through the minimalist phase, which I didn't like either. And thank goodness we did not participate much in that phase at all. And, it's, and, that's, and that's pretty much gone. Well, to me, it was a reaction. If minimal isn't going to work, let's try maximal. And generally, like any pendulum, I mean, it, both ends that you swing to are probably not where you want to be. It's somewhere in the middle that generally is going to work best. Not necessarily that way, but we'll try some different things certainly, and, and uh, that's where you, you come up with some success and real breakthrough. But at the same time, this shoe was just a reaction to, to that minimalist idea. Let's go up big and fat. I don't. I'm not in love with the materials, and I'm not in love with the shoe. That has to be that thick and that fat off the ground for standing still. You're standing at an operating table, okay, maybe. To try and run down the street with a big old pillow strapped to my foot, not a great idea. Besides the fact that I think there are better materials out there. They can give us better cushioning than that one can, with as much of it as they want to use. We can get lesser materials, go back down closer to the ground, and not have to uh, not have to just be jacked up. It makes a shoe, the, the farther up you get off the ground, I think, the, the less stable the shoe becomes. Um, on the Ons, again, it goes back to our history. We've seen essentially what that shoe does is drill holes in the midsole section. In my mind, that's simply subtracting midsole. I've got foams. some on right there now. There you go. <laughs> and I know where they came from. Uh, I, I, uh, in, in my mind, that's just pulling midsole material out of the shoe, so we have we have pulled a, a good part of the guts out of there, and the structure itself eventually, uh, I believe, collapses. So we not only lose midsole material, but we lose the structure itself collapsing. We lose more cushioning that way. But uh, again, very strong brand in a variety of shops. Um, and but I just don't want I don't want to be responsible for seeing that fail on one of on a customer which i believe it's going to on, on any of our customers so yeah it's it's uh, not necessarily a profitable way to think sometimes but i sleep better that way mm-hmm. so. well if you if you wind
0: back the clock to when you first took the store over um i guess just what made you want to take this on as a yeah. profession was it your own running background and and that led to the passion
1: over time it did and yeah how did that well how did that happen i I think that i i as i look back on it i think that passion was was there and maybe didn't even realize it in that um i always had this thing for athletic shoes i liked to i like playing with them i like seeing them i like messing around with them in um in my track days i ran through high school ran through college and in my my i did not use these spikes um i had a very basic spike but my friends had these adidas that were made of kangaroo or goat skins or pig skins and oh man were they cool you know and uh i, I maybe i didn't think i was worthy of it I, maybe i, I should have probably but but uh, i did okay in college but um i just loved hanging around with these things i love seeing them and love seeing what was going on with them and in track spikes, things were evolving a little bit more than in trainers. Trainers were just these basic, essentially the Converse All Star, the Adidas with a leather upper on it, you know. But I got out of college. I went to work for the local schools, and the first thing I did was um, volunteer to go help with the track team. Coach was glad to have me, um, so I began to assistant coach, and he went on sabbatical. I got the head coach while he was gone, and in my careers with the schools. But my job at the schools, which was more counseling-oriented, eventually evolved into running this little department. Hmm. And when you become a department head at the schools, you can no longer coach, which I did not even know. I would already signed my it's coaching. It's a weird rule, yeah. Yeah, yes. I would already signed my coaching assignment and everything. As a matter of fact, I was leaving the building in the spring, first day of practice, heading out of the building at 2 o'clock. The principal says, uh, where are you going? Well, I'm out of the track. Yeah. <laughs> no i'm sorry you can't do it anymore what i can't coach are you kidding scramble to find a new coach and all that but i did that for another couple years and realized you know i i really don't like this job nearly as much by not having that release of going on the track every day i love the feel of the track i love the smell of the track i love being out with those kids i love the whole thing so if i can't coach and you can't make a living coaching at least most guys can't make a living coaching. I began to look around at something else I could do that, that involved some of that passion, being around those people and those kids. And I happened to run into the store, and, and it was it was really, I guess it was, it wasn't luck and that you make your own luck and that I sought this out, but the fact that it was a, a store that already existed, it had been here for about a year and a half, two years. Um, what, what year was that? Um, that'd be 81, 1981. And um the store opened up in fall of seventy eight. And now I coached track as a bird flies, crow flies a mile that way, and had never heard of it. Had never heard of it. Mm. And um and there were some reasons, there were some things I think that they were maybe doing wrong. Promotion was one thing that was not going well. And um philosophy was different than what I would have done. So, and um, they had put it up for sale. Uh, I found out about it coincidentally, just coincidentally found out about it and uh, came over and took a look and um, talked to a friend of mine from college who was my accountant and had him look at the books. He said, you're going to need 20% more business tomorrow just to keep the door open. So I thought that's well, that's
0: me as an accountant. We're always crushing dreams. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what we're here to exactly. do. Exactly.
1: And that's exactly what he was doing too. He says he's essentially saying you're crazy to do this. Well, if you're gonna be crazy to do something, do it when you're twenty eight years old and before you have kids. Um it was a time in my life and we had a little bit of money in the bank account it was said my wife was pregnant, but I didn't have kids yet. Uh so uh, it was your time in, my time in, in, in life to go ahead and take a chance, and I liked the product so much. I knew, number one, I felt bringing in new enthusiasm into the store, which I really felt was the key that was missing. And then the connections I had with some of the track kids and the other coaches and so on, I thought I could make this work. And um, and I will tell you, it is, uh, we struggled in the first year, certainly, Rob Peter to pay Paul, and. And, um, and uh, getting by, but I've never felt that we, we didn't have a, a profitable month since I began. Uh, it began to go pretty well right out of the gate. Part of that, I think, was timing. We were really coming into that running boom in the late 70s there, early 80s, that first big running boom. And, um, um, and I just caught the tail of it, and, and it went well. What
0: was your favorite shoe to sell in the
1: first oh, couple years? Man. That's a great question. Um, I There's a couple of shoes that come to mind, but I've never thought of that question. Um, in the early days, um, I think the most exciting brand we had was Nike. Because this is, uh, we're you know, in 1981, you've still got the 1979 and 1980 shoes. Back in those days, the models didn't change for a couple of years. So you had the same model over and over and um and nike was only born in 72. uh matter of fact they came to us in late 81 and asked if we still had any nikes that were pre-1980 they hadn't even saved a shoe just like us they had sold everything they had just to stay alive and and if you read if you read um, phil knight's book it's called shoe dogs he'll talk about being near bankruptcy a couple times in those early uh, years those late 70s and um so they sold everything. So they, like an idiot, I did sell them back a a, a shot and disc, a shot and disc shoe from nineteen seventy eight for thirty five bucks. That would be worth three thousand dollars to easy, easily because oh <laughs> they must have made eight pairs, you know, and I had one of them for some reason. But uh, uh, so I would say, back in those days, the brand that was doing some of the most exciting stuff was Nike. Just. It reminds me of some of the early Beatles albums, you know, every album we'd wait for what was was new, and Mm -hmm. this new sound, and this new change, and the the next step, and the next step, and the next step, and it was just like Nike, you know, they were just flying in those days, so to answer your question, there was a shoe called a a Daybreak, uh, beige with orange trim on it, I loved that shoe. The internationalists kind of took over from there, but man, yeah, some of those early shoes were just outstanding, and they were nothing special—nylon uppers with the, that basic foam we we're talking about, with the waffle bottom. But uh, even even in those days, when shoes had barely evolved away from Converse All Stars, to talk about a waffle bottom and how this bottom was oh first, yeah first formed the technology. in a waffle iron the technology. exactly. <laughs> Look at this tech on this thing, yeah. It was great. It was so much fun, and the other thing that was fun about it is the customers were having, uh, they were discovering this for the first time too. So it was kind of a shared thing. And it's always something we've had, the advantage we've had in a running shop. When we put, when you when you put someone in a, a new shoe, man, big smile on their face, they're running in the store, they're so darn happy, you know? And, and like you're a kid again, you know, go out in a brand new shoe, everybody's happy with a new shoe. But back in those days, man, it was like a new, a totally new discovery every day it was great being the guy saying yeah try these you know
0: that that reminds me of um so my brother just got married last year yeah and his wife is just getting into running and they came here i think it was last fall and i think landon sold them some shoes and she put on the saucony triumphs and she told my brother This is
1: what I've always dreamed (laughs) shoes could feel like. (laughs) And especially that one. That shoe in particular is one that uses some of the newer technology that I think just cushioning-wise blows away an inch and a half of basic foam. You You don't need all that big stuff, That, that Triumph especially. So lively, so good. That's been fun to watch. These brands come and go, come and go. We've always had Sockney. They're the oldest brand, 1898. They've been around a long, long time. We've carried them since 78. And uh, they've always been one of the brands that we have, you know. Lately, man, they've been they've been skyrocketing. They've been doing really well. And, and you'll see them come and go. Nike's had their day. Asics had their day. Right now, Sockney's kind of having their day. Mm-hmm. Brooks has had their day. And they're battling it out with Sockney right now. And it's fun to watch, fun to watch. The good thing about that is is they that, that those rivalries, those battles, create some really nice product for us. You know, uh, as uh, these guys fight it out. When you look at like those
0: forty years, those four decades of you know operating the store, yeah. is there one decade or like time frame where you think you saw the biggest jump in shoe tech?
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know just the last couple years. I know. there's been incredible it developments has. for, for my running career. It's probably been like 2019, 2020. Right. But I don't know if maybe the eighties or the
1: nineties, there was some boom you remember. Yeah. No, actually I think the boom, the boom did happen. You know, Nike, Nike popped an airbag into the tailwind in 1978. Uh, so their, their airbag, that, that, that jump in technology has actually been there kind of from our beginning and what was happening through the the 80s is everyone was trying to come up with a technology that would compete with that air system asics with gels and so on and um eventually they got to the point where they had systems that were competitive um the airbag is still relevant today but um a little less so in that everybody else has also produced a very nice shoe in many in many cases and as we went through the 80s and the 90s um it was just a continued eleva- uh, evolution of that of that idea of those ideas but i would say as we went through the early 2000s we were at a a, a, a duller time we're at a less innovative time um, some of the most innovation in that period of time actually was not in midsole foams or new New ideas, new concepts, and what we should be running on top of. It was what was put on top of that shoe. It was the upper that evolved in the two thousands, not the midsoles. Getting to one-piece uppers, seamless uppers. Nike would give those guys another nod for doing that before almost almost anyone. Um, Pearl Izumi did one of the first uh, seamless uppers we ever had, and. Um, but they took it to, Nike took it to a whole new level, that was the evolution there, and now I think you're right, as we've gone through the 2010s, especially in the last three or four years, especially seeing some real nice new thought and emphasis in midsoles, not only the midsoles, but the shape of the bottom of these shoes, that swooping toe, and so on, Um, some of the new ideas that they're doing, and it's hard to reinvent running. We've been doing it our whole lives, our whole lives. We've been doing mm-hmm. it for millenniums, and, and um, every once in a while somebody comes up with an idea and this says, oh yeah, we've been running wrong for the last 10,000 years. I'm not so big on that concept. Uh, I, I think we we naturally find a way to run that's comfortable for us, and there is no running form that is perfect for everybody. Uh, and maybe no running shoe that is perfect for everybody, but these guys um, have tweaked things recently certainly that uh um have made have, have given the shoe a whole new a whole new stride I, it's it's fun to watch and, and uh, i'm not sure we're going to see this again uh for another five or ten years uh, i can't imagine but i've been this way every year oh man they can't do better than this And next year it's better oh right. they can't do better than this next yeah. year. it is better well what's
0: crazy right now is like every company is pushing the edge of innovation Yes. You know, I, I think like the next percents were kind of the tip of the iceberg, and then everyone just went to the labs. And yes. I, I picture these mad scientists just going in with foam and carbon plates, yeah, and exactly. cooking Doing these all up. This stuff. And as as a runner, it's really fun to try them out and, and race in them.
1: Yeah, oh no, no question about it. Uh, but speaking of that, I think the more fun times were when when kind of like you just referred to the mad scientists. Back in the day in the, in the 70s, the 80s and the 90s, some of these, they were guys that had, were working the retail floor the night before, yeah. you know. They come up with these ideas on shoes and say, yeah, let's try this. And again, talking to those guys back in the day, um, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't mechanical engineers, although many of them were. And many of them certainly are now uh, in conjunction with physical therapists and, and biomechanics and so on. Uh, they've gone to a whole new degree and sometimes too far sometimes we get they get they get they go out there so far that they've... we we
0: looked at a few of those yes <laughs> exactly exactly
1: <laughs> they get away from from what a runner might truly want and uh uh but uh back in the day when it was just uh, normal guys I mean just just guys off the street coming up with these new ideas and uh uh and watching them work the evolution of foams and Nike is still, especially at Nike, not just Nike. I shouldn't say sock and the, many of the companies as well. Asics coming up with this new flight foam, blended with Kevlar. Um, they're all experimenting with newer and better, newer and better, and they're getting livelier. We've moved from the day that Tailwind I ta- or that uh, Daybreak I talked about. It was a two hundred mile shoe. Maybe two fifty. We we're going to press it, and then of course most of our customers would take them out to a thousand. But and we and we'd rip the bottoms off, put new bottoms on, and off they went for another two hundred. Oh you know, back in the day we would resole them, but uh, um, these days these foams are you know they're reaching eight hundred miles a pair in many cases. Yikes, that is fairly recent. You know, we've been we've been at a comfortable 400, 500, getting towards six hundred, and then all of a sudden boom, we're starting to jump again. So that evolution has been nice that technology has been has been great but yeah uh, like I say I can't imagine it can keep going on but it keeps it does it keeps one day going. one day they will run for us yeah and uh, <laughs> little Fred Flintstone feet will come out of the bottom and they will they'll just carry us along and we won't have to do anything
0: have you been throughout the years a fan of like the professional scene or following like the NCAA Um, any particular runners you've been a big fan
1: of or teams? You know, not really, not really. And we certainly respect many of those guys. But uh, I guess I would have to tell you that the focus of the store changed as time went on. When we were in the the 70s and 80s, all the best runners in the area were in here all the time. Well, the problem with those guys is that, uh, and we still certainly see many of them, Many of them are simply loyal to their local running shop, which we appreciate very much. But at the same time, I also appreciate the fact that these guys are grinding through their shoes every 60 days. Mm -hmm. They can't come in and and, and necessarily pay retail prices for their shoes all the time. So we began to lose higher-end guys, professional athletes, some of the best mileage guys in the area. We began to lose them some time ago. And most running shops will report the same thing. Um, I can't imagine, actually any of them wouldn't report it N- those guys simply can't afford to do that so they're in the day they were going wherever they could in your back room uh, the back of magazines wherever they could to order shoes before the internet where they could order shoes cheaper well then the internet age comes and we really lose those guys unfortunately these they will sometimes come in figure out what shoe they need to get and then go try and find it cheaper and if you look hard enough you will find anything cheaper Right now, prices are pretty much managed across the internet, so we don't have as much worry as we used to. And we we can't afford to sell shoes like they do on the internet at some of those prices. But I understand why those guys went there for those shoes. Well, the focus of our store began to change. And I began to realize, I shouldn't say change, because I began to realize that this is kind of where I was all the time. I was a hurdler in college. I wasn't a distance guy. My distance life came because you don't hurdle after college so we all turned into distance guys but i was never a great distance runner and i'm way more focused on the guy that's like me i'm way more focused at that middle of the packer than i am with the guy in the front and i appreciate the guy in the back certainly i really have empathy for that guy we probably spend more time in that guy than anybody but but it's that guy in the middle that we kind of that the store focused on so even as as a store you might see a running team, not a running club, but a running team out of many stores. And and we've tried it many times with a variety of really, really good athletes. And um, it's, never, it's just never been us. Uh, I would rather have a team of, for example, Clarkston has a running club, the Wolfpack. They've been around for 40 years too and very faithful, loyal to us, which is great. They're going to go up and run the Great Lakes Relay this year. And for the first time in a long time. And in recruiting their team, they said, you've been on that team in the day uh, back in the day back yeah. in the day younger version of myself <laughs> <laughs> there you go well they said this year we are not planning on winning this thing we just want to go up and have fun that's exactly the guy we're focused at mm-hmm. you know so yeah no i would say on the professional level and no it hasn't really been my focus uh, it's, it's more that more that guy that i see running down dixie highway you know oh yeah every day and and I know I know we're we're
0: kind of running a bit along here and and I gotta let you get out of here, but uh, I guess the last question I have and and it it's very broad, but you you really just touched on it there with speaking about the middle of the pack runners at these local events. and I know you work with the Brooksy Way mm-hmm. race as as the chairman, and mm-hmm. you've had forty years of selling these shoes and helping people to find they're really the right shoe for them in yeah, trying that's, to, that's the goal. to get your, your passion spread out to the community. So as you reflect from when you're 28 yeah. and you, you take on the store to now and all of the shoe growth, um, but also being in this same location, yeah. what has this local running community meant to you? yeah
1: and that's that's a it's a really another great question um it is i was telling my wife last night um someday i'm going to retire and it gets harder to think about it all the time because um yesterday had a customer in and uh landon all the guys that work for me um, nate Nick, nick Stration's been with me over 30 years um, and all the guys in the past, um, we don't put them on the floor until they really know what they're doing. And some of these guys, will, we will we'll train them for months and months and months before you let them sell a shoe. Uh, so anyone that comes in, I'm confident that our guys can take care of them. But we have a number of people that come in that only want to see me. So the other day, had a couple come in, only want to see me. They recognized my car. They stopped in knew I was here so and it's because their son um who is now going on maybe 13 14 years old has an extremely overpronated foot he's got a real problem getting into a shoe which affects his knees and his hips affects his running affects his athletics it affects his life and we put him in an anti shoe some years ago and it 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 changed this guy's life it it changed everything about how he thought of athletics, and even maybe a little bit how he thought of himself. All of a sudden, we can straighten him up, get him running, get him out there running. He's certainly not perfect, but we can get him out there running successfully, and uh, and it changes his whole personality, who that kid became. So these guys come in, and this is the story they tell you over and over every time they come in, you know, we only want to see you, and, and because you, because of the, the difference this shoe made in this kid's life. That is so satisfying to me, uh, to have people like that come in, um, but another thing that I think of when you ask me that question is goes way back, way back to one of the running club members. Uh, we have we actually haven't been in quite this location. We were about a tenth of a mile up the street for for about 15 years, and we moved down here. But um, when we were up the street just a little bit, there was a Baskin Robbins next door, and um, one of my customers. Um, his name is Paul Van Claveren. Paul was addicted to ice cream. He's still addicted to ice cream, I'm sure. That's a he hard was, one. That's a hard one to shake. Exactly. <laughs> Lives in Florida now, but uh, um, uh, I still see his family members, and he comes in when he comes up to Michigan. But so Paul's next door. I'm closed, going home. Paul's next door having an ice cream, and he can wander over and look in my front door. Well, he puts his hand on the on the door handle, and it comes open. I had forgotten to lock the door. I probably went out with a whole handful of stuff and forgot to lock the door. So Paul comes in the store, wandering around, before I had alarms, and uh, wandering around. And back in the day, this is again before the internet and and, uh, cell phones and things, what the police would tell you to do would be to put your own name in your Rolodex. So if they needed to call you at home, they knew who you were, for example, they needed to call you at home, they could find you in your own Rolodex. So Paul goes through my Rolodex and finds me and calls me says uh, hey guess where i'm standing i don't know paul where are you i'm in the middle of your store <laughs> 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 oh crap with some ice cream <laughs> yeah exactly So like, i'm running down here well that to me that represented paul represents what most of that running club and most of the running community is like um I didn't have to lock the door. I didn't really have to worry about it. Paul could have gone out of here with every 11 eleven and a half Mizuno that he wanted, you know, uh, which is what you know Paul wears, uh, and never said a word. But no, that's just not the way they are. So over all these years, one of the most satisfying things, I guess, is meeting that kind of clientele. And I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's in every sport. I'm not sure it's in every avenue of life. But I do know. That the running community has been just wonderful that day or that way extremely extremely appreciative that's why you do the races you try and promote the sport give them another opportunity to do this thing and and uh, over the years gosh we've been involved with so many hundreds of races the brooksy's been great and hopefully be back this fall but but uh which is still in negotiation uh, but um you love to be involved with those things because it just gives these guys an opportunity to do what they like to do and again so much positive reinforcement so much positive air i mean the attitude everything's runners like to support each other and, and they like to support their local stores but it's just been great and to do it in the same community that i grew up in is also pretty important too as i see all sorts of people all day long that i've known forever but many of them you know, now for forty years, have been right out of here. It's been fun to watch people grow over forty years and what they do and what they become, and watch their kids and now their grandkids. You know, move on.
0: Well, we we have a saying on this podcast, which is support your local running store. <laughs> Again, I say support. Yes. And uh, you know, I I being someone who started coming here when I was as young as those kids who were in the store when i walked in
1: yeah and Well, i would hazard a guess that your mom started coming before you oh were, oh yeah, yeah yeah she
0: ran detroit when i was three years old yeah uh, she ran the crim when i was eight months old there you go and yeah I, be, being someone who came in as like a teenager i see some asics gel nimbus right there yep. uh, gt 3000s i probably wore some of these sure and I became that college runner for a while who was putting in so many miles that I had to go to the internet for a little while, but then I've had that next phase as more of the hobby jogger type person. Sure. And I can just think to uh, just a little over a year ago, coming in here, you let me try the endorphin shifts. I hadn't even heard of the shoe yet. Yeah, right. Put those on, felt that cushion heel collar, that speed roll, that lightweight feel. And now 600 miles later, yeah. I've retired those shoes. I'm back here picking up another. Yeah. I wouldn't have had that purchasing experience without coming in here. And I wouldn't have had all the memories I've run in those shoes with over sure. all those training miles Yeah, that's something you can't get from the internet
1: well and i think that is what's going to keep us alive uh, let the internet roll we uh, we used to worry a lot more about it than we do we realized that we're surviving just fine with the internet um, we'll eventually get that customer back uh, you just can't get the same information feel for a shoe over the internet than you can coming in and looking at it and trying it on um, Prices have become a little bit more standardized across the board. Again, you can always find something cheaper, cheaper if you try hard enough. But um, those people have begun to appreciate the fact that we had that endorphin uh, that um, uh, and who knows what other shoe and knew a little bit about it. Uh, could let you test it and try it out and they're willing to maybe sometimes pay a little bit more for that and i hate to say it that way because i don't think that we are any more expensive than no. most any other place no, no that's you're not. not the idea we are more expensive than dunham's only because we carry a different type of shoe than dunham's does and a different type of shoe than Foot Locker does
0: believe me i've tried to sell friends who are like not really that serious of runners yep they'll go to dunham's they're like oh my my budget for shoes is like sixty dollars or seventy dollars yeah and i will tell them like your quality of life can be so much better (laughs) if you pay like
1: 30 more (laughs) dollars yes it can it can be but you know in defense of dunham's and that 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 level of store you know um for that much money shoes a 60 dollar shoe is a lot more shoe than it used to be in the day you know and if you've got no issues you can generally get by with that kind of stuff um but yeah if you want the better one that is what we do and that's how we differentiate ourselves from dunham's and and um and the information that we provide is what hopefully will differentiate us from the internet so we'll, we'll we're surviving just fine we'll continue to survive just fine from those guys but yeah support your local r- running shop uh, that's it's uh Sockney uses a motto it's uh run big shop small i like uh, that yeah i do too I do too. I think it's a... well. As someone
0: who's sort of a mom and pop operation of a podcast, we <laughs> appreciate you coming on. You support your local um, podcast. Hey, yeah, support the local podcast. That's right. We're, we're pushing forty-five star ratings on on Apple, so we're we're small but mighty. There you go. And I, I've had people on the show who have got their shoes here too. So it's great. It's great being kind of the boots on the ground in this local running community me and you just from kind of different sides of it yeah so yeah well really we appreciate
1: the support very very
0: much. oh yeah I, I appreciate your time tonight my um, pleasure. i'm me really
1: too. excited to start running in the shoes i picked up oh good and yeah see that see that that's exactly what i was talking about i want you to go out tomorrow and be like yeah put these babies on and put absolutely. these puppies on and go yeah. absolutely sounds good well thanks again you're
0: and, welcome uh, thank you thank i'm you. sure i'm sure i'll be back in soon sounds good we'll be here I hope you guys enjoyed that one and remember the challenge from the beginning of the episode. The challenge is to see if you can hold yourself back from going and buying a new pair of running shoes after that. It is the time of the season to go do it and like I said, uh, even in that interview, like shoes that I have never heard of were, were available and recommended which really changed my training and running landscape. And it feels good to not only get that experience as a runner, but also to be supporting a place that has been one of the anchors of this local running community for so long. So whether you're here in Oakland County or elsewhere, support your local running store. Always, I say it again, support So as we wrap up the show, I am going to do my best to make this quick, but I reserve the right to to, uh, break that rule if I want to and get a bit lengthy. Just wanted to toss out some meets that you need to know about this weekend because we're in the heart of NCAA competition. Hard to believe we're already like, I guess you could say a third of the way through the outdoor season. It goes by quick. So I wanted to point out a few. We're going to start here with the Tom Jones invite at Florida. This one's going to be on the Watch ESPN app on Saturday. So that is one where like you will log in with whatever your cable or streaming TV provider is. And, and be able to access that for free. It's not like an ESPN Plus. The downside here is that the distance events are Friday and it is not on the app until Saturday, which is the uh, sprints and 800 meters. With that being said, I did wanna point out that both LSU and Florida will be at this meet So potentially we could see an 800 meter showdown between Imogen Barrett of Florida, who is leading the women's side of the NCAA with a 202 flat, and Katie Ann McDonald of LSU, who has a 201 PR. So that could be one to keep an eye on this weekend. Next up, the Brian Clay Invitational, named after Olympic champion from Beijing in 08, Brian Clay, the decathlete for the United States. And this one, unfortunately, out of my price range, FlowTrack Pro. Flowtrack Pro for this one. And they did not have heat sheets available. So I'm not sure exactly who's gonna be here, but I will say, looking at team schedules. Colorado, NAU, Stanford, and Oregon all had this listed. So you've got that potential of, you know, Nico Young, Abdi Hamid Noor, the Oregon guys, Colorado. We could see some big names. You just don't know for sure who is going to be there. The big distance events for Brian Clay are Thursday, which is when I am getting this episode up. So not really much of a preview but since heat sheets weren't available it wasn't going to be much of a preview anyways and since is flow track i'm not going to be able to watch it next up here we go so so this is the one i wanted to to break out a bit more because we have heat sheets uh the mount sac relays the mount san antonio college relays this is one of the biggest outdoor track meets every year i mean the other two i mentioned are are no slouch meets those are good meets uh the nc state women are going to be at tom jones as well that first one i mentioned but mount SAC brings a lot of professionals and top collegiates we got people who want to hit world standards we got collegiates who want to run, you know, school records and get into their respective regional meets. So, Mount SAC of all the track meets coming up this weekend is the biggest one. And like I said with Brian Clay, uh, as I sit here on Thursday, events are going on as we speak. I mean, the I just missed the women's steeplechase uh, collegiate, not elite. But I am really excited, especially for one particular event, which I will save for, for the end of this spiel. But I wanted to highlight two men's events and two women's events at the Mount SAC Relays, uh, as well as when they are occurring and where you can watch them if you want. The first one I have is the Women's 1500 Meters so, like I said, uh, a mix of collegiates and professionals. Actually, this one is is pretty much a full pro field, this women's 1500. This features Elise Cranny, who just ran the 5K indoor American record and was one second off of Molly Huddle's outdoor American record in the 10,000 meters. But she claims that she is a 1,500-meter specialist. She trains with the Nike Bowerman Track Club, and uh, we are going to see her go up against Danny Jones of New Balance, who is a former NCAA champion. And, you know, another name that caught my eye here is Bernice Clayette Morell, who was a Division II legend. And we're talking, like, just took home... Uh, one or two national titles indoors just a few weeks ago. I believe she has gone pro now. So that would probably suggest she was out of eligibility. But one of the goats of D2 stepping up to a pro field with Elise Cranny and Danny Jones. This one's going to be 7.10 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, Saturday. And it's going to be on Runner Space Plus, unfortunately, because what they're doing here is CNBC, which you should have with a typical cable package, they are going to be showing some of Mount Sack relays. Um, they're calling a small portion of it the USATF Golden Games, which is a bit confusing because it seems like two different meets are going on, but it's actually just like a two hour slice of Mount SAC relays. What they're doing is, for for probably ratings purposes, they're showing exclusively the sprints, throws, and pole vault. They're not showing any distance events in that two-hour span uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. on Saturday. And if you heard me, like I said, this is at 7.10 p.m. on Saturday, so 10 minutes after the CNBC broadcast, Uh, is the women's Elite 1500, and they're not keeping it on the regular station. So Runnerspace Plus, if you do have an account, you're going to get all of Mount SAC, uh, the, the entire stream. And that included events yesterday that started and going all the way through Saturday. And as I bring up a couple more events here, I may try to sway you because I'm gonna be honest with you guys. You know, I'm honest that flow track, it's expensive, it's pretty mediocre content, it's not for me. Runner Space Plus, what I typically do is I purchase a month of it at a couple times a year, just like two or three times a year, I pay that $12 and I try to just wring out the towel for as much running content as I can get. And the reason I bring that up is this is a good time to do it. Think about this. Middle of NCAA outdoor, right? If we stretch it for a month, we're going to get upcoming Oregon meets. We're going to get Drake relays. There's going to be good content to get. And by the time you get to the end of May, after that month expires and you cancel it, you're going to get NCAA regionals, which is a free stream, Nationals, free stream, and you know, uh, American Championships and, and World Outdoors, which are on your, your cable channels. So, a little, little economics there for you. Uh, I will be throwing down for Runner Space Plus. So, that is the first one. The second event of the four I wanted to bring up is the Women's 5K uh, Elite Heat. And oh my gosh, this might be, this probably is, in my opinion, the most stacked track event this weekend. You got to hear some of these names. Carissa Schweitzer of the Nike Bowerman Track Club, Olympian in two events last year, Run like there's pancakes at the finish line. That's Carissa. We've got Emily Infeld in the uh, Bowerman Revenge Tour. That's just what I'm calling it. Uh, I believe she left on good terms, but she trains... I think she trains with John Green now, Molly Seidel's coach. Uh, Mercy Chalangot is in this field, cross-country national champion. Abby Nichols of Colorado, who is leading the NCAA... And uh, by the way, if you can hear that, yes, I print heat sheets still. It's just it's just a habit from back in my days. When you see heat sheets, you print the heat sheets and you carry them around. So, yes, I print the heat sheets. Uh, who else? We got Bethany Haas of Minnesota. We covered her in season one. She was a Big Ten champ back in 2020. And Lauren Gregory of Arkansas, who is currently leading the NCAA in the 10,000 meters, but she is more of like a 3K runner. So she's got elite range, and this is a great field. Let's see, this one is going on, oh boy, burning the midnight oil. This is Friday at 11.55 PM Eastern, of course, on Runner Space Plus. For me, probably going to be one I don't stay up for. But with Runnerspace Plus, you get access to like 100% of their streams uh, archived on demand. So, I mean, you could go back if you wanted. Um, I would actually recommend this if if you get the account. Um, you can watch that Oregon Twilight meet from last year between uh, Cooper Tier, Yared Nagus, and Cole Hocker. Oh, man, crazy, crazy $1,500. Uh, all right, we got two more I got to cover here before we get out. We have the men's 800-meter uh, Invitational Elite. This one is going to be on CNBC at 5.40 p.m. on Saturday, and it's got some good names. It's got Bryce Hoppel, who just picked up a bronze medal at World Indoors. We've got Isaiah Juett, who was the NCAA outdoor champion last year? We've got Eric Sawinski, man, who just does yeoman's work pacing all these Diamond League meets, but he's not pacing this one. He's going for that W. Um, Sam Vols from Notre Dame. We've got um, who else? Who else? Jonathan Jones. He was just second place at NCAA indoors. So that is a pretty good one as well. But I have one more. Mount Sack Relays event to bring up, and I'm afraid that the hype might not get the love it deserves from this audience for nothing other than my own blunder. The fact that I am saying this so close to when this event takes off. As I am recording this, it's like an hour and and ten minutes from the gun going off for the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase. And why do I bring up the men's 3,000-meter steeplechase? You may ask. I have two words for you. Evan Jager. Evan Jager, he is back. He is back in his event, the steeplechase, for the first time in years. Man, he's hopped in to a bunch of those time trial 5Ks that Bowerman Track Club does. But Evan Jaeger, the American record holder at 8 flat, the 2016 Olympic silver medalist, the 2017 world bronze medalist, he is making a long-awaited return to the steeplechase. And, man, it's on at 10.25 p.m. Like I said, from as I'm recording this, it's in like an hour. But... When I saw that, I I literally like stood up in my chair at work, and people looked around like, "Do you have a question?" And I was like, "No, I don't." Evan Jager is back, and I, was, it's like it's like when the bat signal goes off. Like you stand up when you see that. It is a call to action, and this call to action is that Evan Jager is back. Oh my goodness. Well, you know, we're, we're going to try to get these episodes out about once a week. And yeah, looking from now till next Thursday, that's that's probably all the running that's that's going on, right? So we should probably wrap it up here. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There is one more thing we got to briefly touch on happening Monday, April 18th. It's called the Boston Marathon, and it is finally back in April for the first time since 2019. Can you believe it? And uh, this one's going to be on USA Network at 8.30 a.m. Not going to have Elliot Kipchoge or Kenanisa Bekele competing in this one. But on the, on the American side for the men, we're going to see Jared Ward and Reed Fisher duking it out. A couple fan favorites. Jay Wardy rocking the Saucony Endorphin Pro Plus and, uh, and Reed Fisher in his uh, Adidas shoes. So, honestly, I'm going to enjoy watching that duel, seeing how high those guys can finish. Um, also, on the women's side... We do have Paris Churcher, who is the reigning Olympic champion in the marathon. We've got Molly Seidel, the Olympic bronze medalist for the United States. And Des Linden is making a return to the Boston Marathon. Desi won it back in, I think, 2017. Could be wrong on that, but she is going to be back. But most importantly, our good friend Charles who you know him? If you've been listening to the first season, he went sub three at Indianapolis last fall. He qualified for Boston. He is going to compete, and he just ran, uh, or ran slash bike slash swam a half Ironman like two weeks ago. But I shot him a text. He said the legs are feeling good. He's got a slight cold, but he's like, I'd rather have the legs be good than you know than anything else. And uh, we gotta support our boy. So if you follow Charles on Strava, you know, shoot him some comments going into Monday. Some words of encouragement, meant. And uh, I'm excited for him to get to experience that. I hope to experience it myself someday. So I completely broke my rule of of trying to make the meet previews brief. But here we are finally exiting. So running through, these are the standard announcements for our new audience members that I give at the end of every show, which are as follows. Number one, if you would like to get in contact with the show, we do have an email address. If you have any questions or topics you want covered, that is chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. Also, we love supporting the local running community, and I believe we are part of the local running community. So the least you could do is give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We read all reviews on Apple Podcasts that are five-star ratings. So go ahead and do that if you enjoyed today's show. And lastly, we have a chip time group on Strava. All you got to do is follow me on Strava and we'll get you hooked into the group. So thanks for listening. Welcome back. Keep working hard and we'll see you next time.